Good morning, Village. Today we want to jump into the last of the deep idols that we'll be talking about. And maybe for us it's like, oh, finally we don't get hit with idols every week. Um, but I know it has been a time where the Holy Spirit has deeply moved in our congregation. As um, the Holy Spirit works to root out some of the distractions in our heart, the sin distractions in our heart to serving God and to following Him. And so today we want to tackle the deep idol of control and how that affects so many surface idols in so many different parts of our lives. I want to start by talking about one of my cats. And I know, how many of you are cat people? So, oh, it's, it's mostly this side, the side of the light. You know what? I, I like this side better now. Um, <laughs> Um, so we have cats, and, and one of our cats is a, a fearful little creature. She's cross-eyed and, and I think has struggles to, to see sometimes. And the weirdest thing, up on our, our bathroom counter, we have this fountain that the cats like to drink out of. And so that is this draw, I must drink out of the fountain. And so that she's sitting there all the time waiting for us to turn the fountain on. But... My, my drawer of all my, my personal items and shaver and stuff like that is right underneath her. And every time I go in in the morning, I open my drawer to get, you know, toothpaste, toothbrush, and shaver and that stuff out. And this cat freaks out. Okay? As soon as I open the drawer, she's like, ah, and running to the other side and she'll run out of the room. And, and it, it is the strangest thing all about opening a drawer. And the only thing I can figure is that sometime when she was younger, and this probably happened, unfortunately, it would never have happened on purpose, um, probably one time in her past, she was sitting there drinking and her tail was down in the drawer when I shut the drawer or something like that. Or, or one of my kids may have done that. I don't know, not intentionally. We don't even remember that happening, but something happened that created this fear in her And so now every time circumstances start to arise that might lead to that kind of harm again, she freaks out and she runs. And she's like, no, I'm out of here. That is not going to happen to me again. I was thinking about that this week as we talk about the idol of control because what an interesting picture of of exactly how we are as human beings oftentimes. When we get into a situation that has caused pain or when we get into circumstances that we don't see a way out of or that for us that we don't see a way to get what we want, we can oftentimes start to to feel out of control and start to wrestle with feelings of what is going on. I need to change this or I need to get out of here. And so we, we, we run from painful stimulus. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of that is God given. So that way we don't keep putting our hand in the fire or keep putting our hand on the stove. But remember, idols are good things that Satan perverts into overwhelming things or over-desires or ultimate things. But we have to acknowledge this is the culture we live in. Sometimes I call us the bubble wrap culture, right? Because we want to be safe at every standpoint. We want to eliminate any risk of anything happening. And, and the only way to do that is to stop breathing, but then that has its own set of risks. And, and so we live in this culture that is trying to be safe and secure in everything we do because we think we can control circumstances and we can control the environment to where what happens to me is only what I want to happen to me. 
And that is the heart of control. And so a child gets close to a street once. And now we put up like five different fences and we don't let cars on the street and we shut down the, you know, and because, oh, what if it happens again? We have children in car seats, I think, till they're 23 now. I, I don't know what the current laws are. I can remember at one point our kids went out of car seats and then the next year they all had to go back in car seats. <laughs> okay, that might have been my oldest. Um, <laughs> And um, I remember one of the high school trips were like checking the rules because we thought we needed car seats for some of our freshmen to Wildwood. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. That's, um, and all of that in, in an effort to control our circumstances so no one gets hurt. In fact, one of the years I dove into the data, it's probably more than I should talk about this morning, and, and like 1,200 kids had died from, from accidents in the front seat um, nationwide. And so we're trying to protect them by not, by not allowing that and not allowing um, airbags. Down in the data, it also said 2,000 kids were saved because of that. And so we, in the effort of security, sacrificed 800 lives because we're not thinking when we come to trying to control things. We're not thinking other than, oh, I want my circumstances to be comfortable. This ties to comfort that we talked about last week. I don't want anything bad to happen to my spouse or children. So we jump into control mode and control circumstances and control narratives and try to make sure that everything's okay. And so we come to the ideal of control, the idol of control. And again, today I'm going to say this multiple times. This is something that parts of control are good things that God has given us as dominion over creation, and we pervert them, and Satan perverts them to be the most important thing or something that drives our life. Is it good to be safe? Yes. When that drives our life, it's an idol. And so we have to understand the difference there, and we'll look at at scriptural texts that talk about that and really give us a better theology of this. And, And out of all of them, I think this one is most dependent on our theology of who God is and who we are. And, and what God does and what we do. And, and that'll be the crux of if we can deal with this idol and understand this idol. So we get to the definition of the idol of control. And this is probably one of our longer definitions. So, so bear with me. I only put a couple blanks in it in your notes. The idol of control. Control is an over-desire for certainty, security, and wants by having everything go according to my plan through control of self, circumstances, environment, and others. Let me repeat that. An over-desire for certainty, security, and wants by having everything go according to my plan through control of self, circumstances, environment, and others. There is clearly overlap between control and power, what we did the first week. But power is more about who I think I am, my esteem, the, the, the authority I have over others. Control is more about controlling what circumstances happen to me. And so think control over people primarily, even though control, um, even though control has that a little bit, but this is more over circumstances and things around me. A shorter version of that definition might be a longing to create a secure world for yourself and having everything go the way you want it to go. How many of you like it when things go the way you want it to go? Yeah, every hand better be up. And, and so we have to start with some honesty to this, say we all have some of this in us. 
we all will struggle with the idol of control. From Adam and Eve on, from the fall until the redemption of all creation, this is going to be a struggle. And so my prayer today is that we embrace it and say, God, show me where I struggle with this. Create in me a clean heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And, and so let's come at this with an openness to say, we're all here. We're all in this boat. Let's see how we can get rid of some of the tentacles of this idol, some of the, the ways it has infiltrated our heart. So diving into that definition, what do we seek? What, what is this? How does this, how do we identify this in our life? And so there's some words there that we have to understand. Certainty is the first one. And certainty is the idea of, I know what's going to happen when it's going to happen. There is a certainty to outcome to a certain set of events. We crave certainty as a people. We, we crave knowing that we can uh, affect the outcome a certain way. Uh, lack of certainty is hard. Absolutely it's hard. And so we crave the certainty, and God has built that into us because where did God intend us to find certainty? In Him. In His work, in His omnipotence, in His loving kindness, and you have to hold those together He intended certainty to to drive us to God, not to self. But Satan uses it to drive us to self. Second word there that I use is security. And and this is this has includes the idea of the avoidance of harm. Um, So safety, security, this is my cat. Um, And we seek to prioritize security so many times over people, but more importantly, over God. And so there are times that we don't, won't go certain places to serve or we won't do certain things because we are elevating security and safety above a trust in God to follow His way. Now again, is security and safety bad? Are those bad? No. It's when they become too important, when they become elevated. I would bet most of you locked your doors when you left the house today. Does that mean you don't trust God? No, it means you don't trust the people walking through your neighborhood. Um, But there's a prudence to this. And so today, my, my, my fear is, we can almost justify this idol completely away by saying, I'm just being prudent. And there's some truth to that if we take every aspect of things we do that are safe. I put on my seatbelt this morning. Am I not trusting God? No, I'm, I'm, I'm being wise. I'm being prudent. But it's when these things become elevated, and especially on security, when we start compromising and not doing things for God or for, for His church because of that, then we have some issues. Then we're probably dealing with idolatry. And so this idea of safety, don't let anything bad happen to anyone I love or to me or the stuff that I love. And when that becomes essential, it's an idol. If you go home today and your house has been broken into and half your stuff is gone, is that a bad day or is that a devastating day? And if it's devastating, even stuff we hold dear, if it's devastating, we're dealing with idolatry. If it's a bad day, but God's going to help me through this, then we're going to the right source. And and so I'm going to try to give as many examples to help us with that, that balance today. Um, the idol of control also usually involves a lot of self-discipline. Now, we, we studied Titus, and we've studied First and Second Timothy, where self-discipline is essential, but the idol of control elevates it above other characteristics, 
and, and values it as, as part of my identity. And so the idol of control has an elevated sense of self-discipline. And usually that leads to a, a lower view of others that don't have the same discipline I do. Because how could they? They're, they're more immature. And, and, and so this is just an insidious idol that affects us and our relationship with God and directly affects our horizontal relationships with others. And, and out of that really comes one of the, the parts of, of the idol of control is it comes out in pride. It comes out in thinking I'm right. And we'll talk about that more a little bit when we go to the chart. Um, but we, we love and at times insist our stand, on our standards. We force our way on others. Because why wouldn't we? It's the best way, and I love them. And we're bowing to the idol of control. And so we need to spend some time identifying this this week, thinking through this. And, and, and I would bet if you are praying every day, Holy Spirit, reveal something to me, I bet every day he'll reveal something new to you. Because this is just part, it's part of my life. And so this one's very personal for me. Because I like security. And I like planning. And I love being spontaneous when I have a plan on how to do that. <laughs> and I just like to look spontaneous. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was like, man, you're just spontaneous in what you do. I'm like, yeah, I've had 20 different plans, and we just chose the one to go with in the, on that situation. Like, oh. So, so I'm speaking from my heart on this one. And, and just out of, out of transparency, um, this is a challenge, um, especially on security and especially with financial prudence and some other things. And, and um, so that's, that's where we're at this morning. If we ask ourselves the question or, or think life only has meaning, I only have worth if I can control this area of my life or get mastery over this area of my life or certainty in this area of life, then it's the idol of control. When I say things like I'm only going to be happy or, or when I look, not just say it, but when I feel like I'm only happy when things go according to my plan... That's the idol of control. Because now we're letting our feelings and our emotions come under what we believe is most important. And so ultimately, as we identify this, we, we, we act like we think that our control will wipe away every tear in the future. Like we can conquer aging and death. We can eliminate any harm or hardship for our children. If I was in control, we'd all have a better life. And so we have to identify some of those attitudes of the heart. Here's a test that I, that I think, which I mentioned with the, the, if you were robbed today, how do you respond when your plans fall apart? Or how do you respond when there's uncertainty in an area of your life? And that probably will be a good indication of the level this idol has, has come to infiltrate and come to grab hold of you. See, this idol most obviously comes to light when we lose control. When unexpected events, when economic recessions, job losses, life changes, when those things happen, these things come to light. And so, so here's the thing. If, if I have to summarize sort of this identifying section, we, we try so desperately to control the things in our life, and in reality, the only thing we can control is nothing. And that creates a tension. And you can say we can control our attitudes and everything, but I'm talking externals. The only thing we can control is nothing. And so this should drive us to the Creator. The only place for certainty, the only place for security, the only place for safety is in our Creator. And so 
we want to fight this. We want to fight the attitude, if I want it done right, I'll do it myself. It's my way or the highway. These are statements that reflect this idol. Ultimately, though, ultimately, the control idol seeks to replace God. And, and this is where this idol is, can be different from the others. All, all idols seek to replace God, right? They're a God substitute. Comfort, for instance, took external happiness and external getting, you know, pleasure as our replacement for God. And, and approval took other people's approval or view of us as a replacement for God and what God does. Control is a direct replacement of God with myself. And so I am becoming a little God when I am in control. I am becoming maybe bigger than God. And so ultimately the control idol seeks to replace God because we think we're right. Proverbs 16, 2 and 3 says this, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. We think we're right. We think our way is right. But the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your your plans will be established. And so we think we're right. We follow our ways. We think we're God. And the, the, the author there says, no, no, commit your ways to Yahweh. Commit your ways to the Lord. His plans are the only one that are established. Romans one twenty one, and, and turn there if you would. Turn to Romans 21. I know we're going to spend most of our time in Luke 12 this morning. But I, I want us to read Romans one twenty one together. I don't know if I have it on the screen. Um, but Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, and this is a section on that they had given themselves over to idols, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, now catch this because I think Paul here is writing about things that surround the idol of control here. For all they, although they knew God, so they had the head knowledge, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I go to church at least two times a month. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. And understand the wording there. The word for honor is to place a high value on, to respect, to attribute a high status. And to not honor someone is to ignore them, to treat them as less than or just equal, to, to think that my way is better than them. And so to honor God says he is, he is God and I am not. He is above me. His ways are above me. And we can go to countless verses that say that. But here tied to idolatry, they did not honor him as God. They did not put him in his rightful place, which implies that they didn't seek him. They didn't trust him. They didn't follow his ways. And so ultimately the control idol says, I am God and he is not. And that is a lie from Satan because he is God and we are not. And so when we put God in his proper place, now we give him control. Because control comes through hierarchy in this case. And God is over us. He is greater. He has ultimate control. And then Paul goes on to say, or give thanks to him. And, and, and part of the idol of control is we start thinking we did it. We start to, the idea of thanksgiving is to acknowledge that we need someone else. To acknowledge that someone else did something. And so part of the idolatry for them is they stopped thanking God. They stopped recognizing what God was doing in their lives. They did not place him in his, his proper place. They didn't even acknowledge what he was doing. 
And that comes when we are self-centered and proud and think, I've got this. And in reality, we've got nothing. And so in many ways, the idol of, of control is a counterfeit to the imminence of God. And what I mean by imminence is the nearness or activeness of God. So there's two different ways of viewing God, right? You can view him as transcendent above all else. He set things into motion and, and he, he no longer has anything to do with his creation. Or the imminence of God, he's with us in this room. He's with me tomorrow when I go to work, when I'm going through difficulty, and, and he is actively working his plan in and around me. He is near. Now, both of those actually are true. When we talked about the attributes of God, he is transcendent. He is above all else, but in his loving kindness, he has chosen to draw near to us, right? Isn't that beautiful? And, and he is close to us. The idol of control denies his imminence. It denies his closeness. It denies that he is at work in our lives. Because it says, I need to control this. Ultimately, at the heart of that is because God isn't. And I know that sounds harsh language, but we've got to come to terms with what this idol actually is. We think we are little gods. One author, Richard Keyes, said, when we are alienated from God, we search for enough security from controlling some part of the world so that God seems unnecessary. And that's what the idol of control does. We try to make God unnecessary. Because when is God necessary in our lives? Now, theologically, we say all the time. When do we notice it the most? When we need Him. And control attempts to, to eliminate those needs, those times we need Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Turn over to Luke 12. This is a biblical example from the teaching of Jesus. He, He taught some of this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is another example of his teaching. Luke chapter 12. And I want to look at an example of a rich man. And a rich man who thought he was in control. Thought he had it covered. Thought he had no more needs and he was set for life. His 401k was doing great. Um, he, he, he also had a pension. I don't know. He was set. And so he gave in to the idol of control. Luke 12, we'll be looking at verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover one under a seat right around you. Love for you to turn there with us um, and just see that these are, are the actual words in God's word and Jesus' actual words. Luke 12. And he, being Jesus, told them a parable saying... The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Praise God. This isn't an an indictment on God's blessing. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This is where we start to get off track. What shall I do is the right question. But he is completely focused on control and what shall I do for me, not how can I bless others because God has blessed me. He said, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This is bad. I'm going to have to help others with my grain if I don't do something about this. So he, so he did something about this. And he said in verse 18, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, my stuff. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, Drink and be merry. And so we see a man 
who was so looking in himself that he, he wasn't giving it away. He wasn't looking to, to bless others. The idol of control often has a tight grasp on things that we think are essential for our future, that we think are essential for our ability to not go into harm, to not have uncertainty. And so he's keeping a tight grasp on those things, builds bigger barns so he has grain and goods. Why? So he doesn't have to trust God in the future. Now again, some of you are saying, are you saying we shouldn't have a retirement? That's not what I'm saying. Be wise, be prudent, but be generous. And so the issue here is the attitude in which we use the blessings of God, not whether or not the blessings have been given. That makes sense? In fact, if we're wise with what God has given, for the purpose of generosity, we can actually be more generous because we've been wise. So, so, so don't come away from today thinking, oh, I should be unwise and, and give away all my money and sleep under an overpass. Be wise to be able to do God's work. It's an issue of priority and where is our heart? What is most important? And so this man is a soul, you, you're, you're good. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Live for yourself. Live for your wants. No harm will come to you because you have a good plan. And in verse 20, we see the turn, the twist in the story. But God said to him, fool. Now, if God says that to you, drop to your knees, drop on your face and, and learn. God says to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And so God says, you're planning 20 years out, 10 years out. You have a plan that you're, you're in control and nothing bad's going to happen to you. Tonight you die. And your plan is nothing. And, and not to be morbid, but that's what happens. Because God is showing him, you aren't in control. You aren't able to control all your external circumstances and live just for yourself. And so the first thing I think we need to learn out of this is don't fall into the trap of thinking you can control circumstances. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you can control things in your life. Who's in control in verse 20? The one that can give and take life. The one that has created life. The one that has created all things. He's in control. And, and God's restoring order here. He's restoring a right perspective. You're, tonight, your life is in my hands. You've made all your plans, but you haven't made the most important plan. And been right with me. And so we have, to, we have to be careful of not following into this trap of thinking I can control things, of thinking I can keep myself from all harm. I can keep anything bad from happening to me in this world. Well, until God redeems creation back to himself, that's impossible. Because we live in a Genesis 3 fallen world. That won't change. But praise God, our Savior won't change either. And our God who is omnipotent won't change. And we can have certainty in him. And so today is all about changing where we thirst for certainty, changing where we thirst for security. We need to see out of this passage the temporary nature of our control. Or I love the phrase that we have the illusion of control. And that's all it is. We have an illusion of control. So it goes on, um, 21. So, so God challenges, whose will they be? All your plans. 
you know, someone else will benefit, but not you. In verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And this is the, the, the lesson of the passage. It's not the treasure, it's what you're using it for. If you lay it up for yourself, then it's a problem. It's an idol and you're going to grasp it. But if you're rich toward God, and that includes doing acts of service for God, doing things for Him, helping God's church, helping God's people, being a steward of what God has given you rather than thinking it's yours, when we are rich toward God, then that's the right heart. And so this isn't what God gives us and the stuff that we try to control and the the circumstances we try to control and the people we try to control Do you realize that it's not all about you? Do I realize that it's not all about me? That should be a youth theme sometime. I think we've done it three or, I think we've done it three or four times right now. Because this is an idol we all struggle with. It's not all about me. God has, has arranged the circumstances by His control so I can best serve Him. He has arranged the blessings He has given me by His control so I can use them for Him. And oh, village, our heart has to be, how can I use every circumstance, everything, every dollar, everything in my life for the glory of God, not how can I protect myself? Because one is beautiful and the other is disgusting. If we do things for the glory of God, even the hardest circumstances can be sources of joy and beauty. There are a lot of things in life we can't control. Trust me. But how are we going to use them? Where are they going to push our hearts? And are we going to cling and get bitter because I'm not in control? Or are we going to say, I'm going to glorify God through this? The passage goes on. And this is where, if if you can just give me a couple more hours. (laughs) I think I've said that on every deep idol. But the rest of this passage is so beautiful. And if we don't get to this all, study this this week. Read it every day this week. He goes on, because now he's told the story, and, and I just see the heart of Jesus as he turns to his disciples and says, let me, let me explain it further to you. Let me share my heart with you in verse 22. And he says, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Don't worry about it, it says. Don't elevate this to something that consumes you. Don't be anxious about this. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are are you than the birds? And I know coming into this, this is a familiar passage. Yeah, we've studied in Matthew more than Luke, but this is so familiar that we can start to gloss over this. This means God is in control and we don't have to get all uptight about it. That's what this means. And I'm speaking to myself. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to lose sleep. We don't have to worry about it. Now, it's not saying that we shouldn't be responsible. But what it's saying is be responsible for, but don't let the details of life consume you. What are you up at night thinking about? What do you spend your time worrying about? Worry is a really good indicator of where our idols are. And if we're worried about, okay, 
How much is my next paycheck going to be? Will I get a next paycheck? Now again, be responsible. But if that becomes a consuming worry, we need to go back to our knees and say, God, I'm sorry, I've taken this back. I've taken this back. I'm not trusting you. The same God that created the ravens, the same God that created everything we see, loves you deeply and has the power to do something about it. Trust Him. He sees far more than we do. His ways are far higher than our ways. Trust Him. Let Him be in control. And so this is a call to let go of control because control is almost always paired with anxiety. We'll talk about that in a minute. So don't be anxious. Don't worry. Life is more. Life is serving God when we go back to 21. Life is being rich for God. We get to verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That's a statement about control. Basically saying, okay, you worry. You want to be in control. Can you add to your life? Nope. And so really, do you have control? Nope. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, I laugh at that because to God, adding an hour to our lives is a small thing. And we can't even do it. I'm like, that's huge. That's life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And here's the argument. God is saying, I hold life in my hand. I hold the end of life in my hand. The days are numbered. You can't change that. If I can do all this, do you think I can handle this little situation that you're in? So it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God is in control of life and death, can he handle how I'm going to get my car repaired? Can he handle how I'm going to pay bills? Can he handle how I'm going to deal with that difficult situation? Praise God, he can. And so this is a call from Jesus saying, we don't really have control, but God does. And he's got this. God's got this. If I had to title today's sermon something other than the deep idol of control, I would say God's got this. He knows what he's doing, so follow him. 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, it's temporary, it's just grass, it doesn't think, it's not a person, it's not made in the image of God. If God so clothes one of those, which is, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And I would underline, O you of little faith. Highlight it, whatever you can do in your Bible. Because that in the second section is the crux statement. That's what Jesus is getting to. Do we have faith in God? Do we trust in God? And that is directly what Satan is attacking with the idol of control. He's saying God doesn't have this. But if you control things just right, you're good. God, God isn't able to do this. But if you do this, you're good. And so this is a direct attack on faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He goes on, and, and, and please read the rest of this passage this week, because he, he goes on to say, use whatever you have for the kingdom. Let go and do risky things for God, because if God's in control, they're not risky. 
stop being safe and start being pretty radical for Christ. That's where he goes with this. But we need to keep moving. I want to go to the chart on the back and, and sort of break this down and fill this in. Some of this we've already talked about. And, and the first thing that's not on the chart, we always talk about how can this show up in surface idols. Remember, there's always a deep idol, a motivation, and then that can come out in a variety of ways in surface idols. One of the ways the, the deep idol of control comes out, I think, so prevalently is in parenting. Um, as a parent, have you ever been consumed by fear or concern for the future of your child? When do people start lining up for the best preschools? When their kids are born, if not before. It's crazy the stories that I've heard. Because we are so consumed by wanting to control things to give our kids the best life possible. And if anything threatens the future of our children, it's a surface idol that's coming from a deep idol of control. You cannot guarantee the success and happiness and safety of your children. But God can. So I don't want to leave you without hope. What that means as a parent, I should be spending as much time on my knees to the creator of the universe as I am disciplining and discipling and training. We want our kids to be on the right path, get into the right schools. If you just get this grade, and so we put all this pressure on them. And I'm not saying don't be excellent. Again, this is the balance. Be excellent. Protect your kids. Don't just throw them out in the middle of Boaro and say, oh, I hope you have fun. But when this gets elevated to the most important thing in our life, or when this gets elevated above trusting God, that's an idol. Money comes out as a surface idol. We've used money as an example of all of them because, again, surface idols can have different motivations. Um, Money shows itself as a surface idol with control as a way to make sure I don't have any problems, as a way to make sure I don't have to rely on anyone. And that is really hard. That That's it's one of my struggles. I don't like to rely on people. And so I want to control things and control my finances and control things so that I don't have to. But in reality, has God put us in community? Has God put us in, in a church family. And he's done that so we rely on each other and we bless each other and we have the experience of use, others being able to use stuff for God and us being able to do the same thing for others. But when I have to control and know where every penny goes and then look down on others that don't, when, when, when I have to, to make sure that everything is perfect in my finances, I'm probably dealing with the idol of control. Again, half of you in this room have sat in a class with me on how to budget. I'm not saying don't budget. But that's not your most important thing in life. And we've talked about the surface idol of security. Am I motivated by my need for security? I think that's the wrong wording. It should be I'm motivated by a lust for security. Uh, You know, there's so many different things when we think of security. Think of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. Abraham goes before Pharaoh. He's worried for his life. What does he tell his wife? Say, you're my sister. Sort of true. You're my half-sister. I don't want to get hurt. Now, wives, let me just ask you. You guys go to lunch today, and your husband, as you're walking in, say, hey, say you're my sister instead of my wife. How are you with that? 
Yeah, see, I think he's being stupid because he's risking his life from a different side. He puts safety and security above doing what was right and integrity. Do you see? And he did it again eight chapters later in Genesis 20 with Abimelech. And then his son does it again with Abimelech with his wife. And they, they had an idol of control, an idol of security. So how does it look? Why does it often go unrecognized? And, and again, every idol takes something good and makes it ultimate. It takes it, A good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes an ultimate thing. And so these are good qualities, but when they're overdone, and, and so we can often overlook the idol of control in people because how it looks sometimes is that person's really competent. They have it together. He or she is just organized. They're really organized. They want to organize me. It's the idol of control oftentimes. Prudence shows itself. Self-sufficiency is part of this one. And, and again, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Some of those are really good gifts and how God expects us to have dominion over creation, which is a mandate from God. But when it gets perverted, it becomes an idol. So then we get into some of the harder sections of this one. What is the price we're willing to pay to pursue the idol of control? We're often willing to pay the price of loneliness because the idol of control pushes people away. It pushes people away to surface acquaintances and, and makes it so difficult to have deeper relationships. Another price we'll pay is the loss of spontaneity. I hear spontaneity can be really cool. And, and I enjoy spontaneity, if you have a plan. <laughs> but God has given spontaneity in life as, as one of his joys. And we lose that when our, our control is our idol. But, but a deeper price we'll pay, I think, is joy. A loss of joy and a loss of being a blessing to others. Because if we have the idol of control, we're controlling our circumstances and we don't have the freedom to be a blessing for, to others unless it falls into our narrow little plan. And the Holy Spirit doesn't fall into our narrow little plan. He might have someone you meet this afternoon that He wants you to be a blessing for. He might want you to go out of your comfort zone to help someone today. Control says, nope, we have a schedule. And so we lose the joy of being a blessing. We lose the joy of walking with God, of trusting God. See, here's the thing. The times that I have been closest to God are the times that I have been most out of control in my life and had to trust God. And I don't wish those times on anyone, but I would not eliminate those times in my life because they are the times I have seen God's presence and nearness and hand in ways that I will cherish the rest of my life. And if we live by the idol of control, we lose the ability to have those times or we minimize those. The worst fear or nightmare when we struggle with the idol of control. Top one has to be uncertainty. That's, that's like the worst thing ever. Uncertainty. Criticism is really hard because we want to control our environment and we want to control what other people think. Change can be really hard. For whatever reason, people with the idol of control don't like changes in plans. 
Another one that several authors mentioned that I had to think about a lot was a worse fear can be uselessness and irrelevant. Ir- irrelevance. Sorry. Uselessness and irrelevance. Mostly because we are constructing a world where we control to feel significant, where things have to be done the way we want them to feel important. And when those aren't, when there's change, when there's uncertainty, we feel like we're not contributing. And so uselessness. You know, it's something just to, just to get in the weeds together as family. I think COVID has revealed so much with the idol of control. Because we have a year and a half where we don't have a lot of control over areas of our life. And so what I've noticed is the more I've chafed at that, the more that I've seen people chafe at governmental controls, fair or unfair, the more we get upset about it, it's almost always tied to our control issues. That I want control of my circumstances. I want it to be the way I think it should be. And that's why I shared with the government class, that's why I stopped listening to certain commentators because I get so worked up and it would be consuming and it was all I can think about. And quite frankly, God says, serve me no matter what. This is an opportunity for the gospel. That's what should be most important. And when we make some of these other control issues more important, we are worshiping the idol of control. And... and That's why we did a pivot as a church to say our theme this year is undistracted. We are going to intentionally find ways to use whatever circumstances are out of our control, whether they're fair or not, whatever circumstances just don't even make sense, I'm going to choose to use that for the kingdom because God knew those were coming. COVID was not outside of God's control. He didn't wake up one day and say, oh man... The lab in China did that without my permission. Don't read into that statement. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? (laughs) None of it surprised him. Or the bat spread it. I don't know. The question isn't whether these things are right or not or whether they're fair or not. The question is, how am I going to use it for the glory of God? God can use the difficulties in your life if you choose to let him and choose to go that way. We're running low on time. Biggest problem, emotions. Here's the three. Worry, anxiety, and pride. Worry, will I make enough? Am I saving enough? Have I done enough? to ensure that my kids walk with God and have no problems in life. No, you haven't done enough. But God can. Anxiety. How can I get things to go exactly as I planned? What's going to happen if they don't go as I've planned? I know what's best anyway, so if they don't go as I've planned, it hurts everybody. And we have a deep-seated anxiety and worry. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You catch what? It's a familiar verse. It's dealing with the idol of control, saying, don't worry about these things. Let God control it. Go to him in prayer and give it over to him. And I know none of this is new, but I also know that most of us in this room struggle with this. Trust his control. 
pride. The idol of control is so intertwined with pride, and I think I know better, and people should do what I want. In fact, two of the verses we often use for the idol of control is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Great verse on trusting God, right? Do you know what the very next verse says? Be not wise in your own eyes. Oh, we, we stop before that one. I don't like that one. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And it ties pride into the issue of trusting God. See, this deep, these emotions, worry, anxiety, pride, these, these are so connected with the idol of control. When we have the idol of control, we struggle to respect authority. And I'm not saying we struggle to obey authority. We can force ourselves to do that. We struggle to respect them and think of them as over us. Because the idol of control says we're all equal. I know as much as you do. And so you, you struggle with hierarchy. You struggle with all kinds of things. Because here's the, here's the theology of it. If I can't give control to God, I certainly can't give control to you. You're not God. And I don't even realize that I'm saying he's not God either, and I am. And so this can be, this can be a struggle as a wife in a home, letting your husband lead. This can be a struggle as teens coming under your parents' authority when you think you know best. This can be a struggle with with your boss at work and thinking, I know as much as him. Why is he over me? And that's a struggle with control. It can be a struggle with church leadership and shepherds. Any area of our life, pride can come in and it's insidious. Last couple things on the chart. Others can feel, when we have the idol of control, others feel condemned, judged, offended, and controlled. Let the weight of that list sink in. Others feel condemned, judged, offended, and controlled. Because others feel less than, they feel they can't do anything right, and so they will back away and they will withdraw. And so power people try to expand their circle to have as much influence as possible Control people tend to have a very small circle of intimate friends because you can't control larger circles. But mostly because people back away and they don't want to be around you. Other signs of control. Hoarding. Lack of generosity. Someone with the idol of control has difficulty tithing because tithing is an act of trusting God. It's an act of not only obeying God but trusting that God is in control. Another sign is when we condemn people that don't have the same self-control I do and can't plan the same way I do. And so we ask ourselves, what steals our joy? If disorganization steals our joy, if inefficiency steals our joy, if the lack of consistency steals our joy, this idol has a hold in my heart because I'm not seeing joy in Jesus Christ. We're going to go just a couple more minutes. What does this replace? The biblical truth that this replaces is God's blessing, His care, His provision, His closeness. Those are all sacrificed and replaced. 
God may allow a trial in your life just so you can know how close He is. Just so you can know who He is. Embrace that. Embrace that. And so how do we do that? And again, we confess and repent and we preach truth to ourselves. We, can, we confess and repent and, and realize everything apart from, from giving God control is shaky at best. Careers end, relationships fail, stock markets crash, unexpected medical bills come. But all that's shaky here. Trusting in God is the only thing. So we, we come to God and say, I repent of my idol of control. I repent by submitting and surrendering to your ultimate control. Your timing is perfect. Part of repenting is coming to God and saying, please reveal to me where I'm relying on control for my identity, my security, and to avoid pain. Reveal to me as part of this. And then saying to God, I I recognize that I am desperately trying to control things in my life. And I acknowledge I control nothing. And so we repent of this idol and we have to start there. But again, we don't just get rid of idols. We have to replace idols and we replace it with the gospel truth. Think about this for a moment. When was the moment in all of history where it seemed like things were most out of control? In all of history, I would argue the moment where it seemed like things were most out of control was when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And when the Son of God was nailed to that cross and he said, it is finished, imagine the disciples' viewpoint at that point. The Messiah, the man we followed, is dead. And at that moment where to us it seems like the world was most out of control, God was perfectly executing his plan to redeem creation back to himself. And God was in perfect control. And God was orchestrating events. And that's why we can go to the cross and say the salvation that he he brought not only is sanctifying me and saving me, it is proof that I can trust God. Because at the moment where it seemed most out of control, God was most in control. And if he can do that at that moment, he can do that in your life. God has sovereign control. And, and so then, then for me, I, I start with the cross. And that God was in control there. And then I move to remind myself of the sovereignty of God. Many of the plan, are the plans of the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. The Job passage we we mentioned this morning, where were you? All of those things start to refocus our minds. God is in control. He is sovereign. He is above all things. He never fails. And village, no one here would deny that. We need to preach that to ourselves regularly. Every morning, we need to pray and read some of these verses and remind ourselves God is sovereign. Theology matters. And so then we pray and say, God, help me to trust your perfect plan, even when I don't know what it is. Help me to make my plans in pencil and let you write in pen. Help me to know that my joy is rooted in my salvation not in the circumstances that happen around me, even when things don't go my way. 
When things start to fall apart, God, help me to take advantage of that opportunity to show God's glory and grace to others. And so to replace this idol, we have to be on our knees in prayer and we have to be acknowledging these biblical truths. Don't build yourself bigger barns. Don't make sure that your future is secure because of your control. Ask, how can I serve God? How can I use every circumstance, even the hard ones, not as motivation to make sure this never happens again in self-defensiveness, but as a way to say, how can I give glory to God? Let's pray. Lord God, oh, we love you and praise you. Lord, we repent. I repent that I take control. That I, that I so many times want to organize my circumstances to where I know what's going on. And Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to acknowledge you in everything and use every circumstance as an opportunity to bring glory to you. Lord, and I pray for our church that you would do the same thing corporately. Lord, this week, no matter how hard it is, reveal to us where control is hiding in dark corners of our heart and allow us to give those to you. Lord, I pray for a hard week for us as a church and a beautiful week for us as a church as we let your Holy Spirit work in the dark recesses of our heart. Thank you for the beauty of the cross. Thank you for your control. Thank you that we can trust you and that you are faithful and that you are loving. Lord, thank you that we are your children. In your name,